Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. I'm not a prophet, but sometimes I have prophetic dreams. Pumping once, now throwing long down the left side. Slaughter has a piece going in for a touchdown. The Browns have won the game. <laughs> Cleveland, this is for you. Throwing deep down the left side, Slaughter is open. He got the ball in the five yard line. I tell you what, those people at left better come on back because this ball game is not over. I like how Hugh says this doesn't change the way we feel about Deshaun. Clearly it does because you're benching him. No, I'm not going to say I'm week to week mode. I'm just, let's see where we are. Kevin's this week. Next week's another game. We'll go from there. Yeah, I'm with you. The honeymoon for Hugh Jackson as a coach in Cleveland, I think it's officially mm. over right no, now. No, 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 I love Hugh. I, I love Hugh, too. But guess I love what? Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator. Hugh Jackson was known as a quarterback guru, correct? Yes. So then you send a guy out there that you thought was ready for the moment as a rookie. And now, five games into the season, you realize he's not ready. Again, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's in Houston. It, it, well, it doesn't matter for this reason because whether we did or didn't, that's not the point. The point is we're going to play the Houston Texans in Houston. Here's our football team. We're on five, and we're trying to go get a football victory, and it doesn't matter. He plays quarterback there. Kevin Hogan's playing quarterback for us this week, and Deshaun Kaiser's back in the My DBN brothers and sisters, I'm a Browns fan. Talking to the remaining Browns fans still left on the bandwagon, and you, you are listening to Straight No Chaser. My name is Thelonious Seven, keeping things wretched on the DBN network. This is the Saturday Morning Post edition of Straight No Chaser. My schedule at work has been completely unstable, but I'm lucky to get some time here on Saturday morning to get behind the microphone and start talking about some of the things that have happened this week and. What a week it has been. I live around people who don't really care about sports at all. And sometimes that's a bad thing. For example, when I followed the Cavs 2016 run, you know, I, I had to watch them win all by myself in the house. I was like yelling in the pillows. I think I woke up people. In the end, I got to call my family. And once they were off the phone, I essentially had to relish this moment alone. And I had some... You know, I had to watch this profanity-laden speech by LeBron James, probably one of my favorite speeches ever, uh, from the Cleveland Parade in Exile. But, you know, at least I had some people representing me. I think Ping Pong Tony was there drinking one for me. And uh, it was sad that I missed the moment of the celebration, you know, that one moment of, like, reward after that lifetime of sports failure. But at the same time, I can't say that I miss being around Cleveland fans or really sports fans in general, when the factory of sadness begins to operate at full capacity. This week, I busted out easy uh, the other day. And I, you know, I don't know if I told you this. One of the biggest reasons I make this show is because I am enamored with the work of Easy Weep. But listening to him the other day, 
I was shocked at how upset he was with the move to Kevin Hogan. But if you've been listening to Easy Weave all year long, I mean, Easy's had his benchmarks, man. He's been saying it. 4 and 12 record, Kaiser starts 16, and no blowups. But after the Jets game, it looks like that 4 and 12 March mark is falling farther and farther from reach. It looks like the Kai Zeppelin is going to be crashing and burning. And like I was saying, after the Jets game, the thought of actually moving away from Coach Jackson seems increasingly possible. And as I sit here making this show, I can see where the Browns' future looks pretty dystopian. It could look pretty dystopian anyways. It scares me to think uh, that fans like Easy Weave, these guys who are true stalwarts uh, of the Cleveland Browns community, could eventually be alienated by this process. I mean, it has been 18 years since the team has returned, and I've been a Browns fan for well over 35 years. My first memory being Red Ride 88. But for me, I'm a Clevelander till I die. And if Art Modell couldn't take my love for this team away, I don't think it's ever going to change for me. Things look dark. It does look dark. And I'm, I'm going to be the first to tell you this week didn't seem too promising. But I still believe, I still believe that brighter days are indeed ahead. And when the Browns are absolutely loaded with cap space and a bevy of picks for the upcoming year's drafts, when the 2017 regular season comes to an end, this brain trust will begin its third offseason. And it's in this brain trust that lies the true stability of this organization. That isn't to say that Hugh Jackson isn't a big part of what this front office is doing. But it also isn't to say that the team would be okay for moving on from Jackson either. What it is saying is that Jackson's biggest problem is a lack of talent, which the, which the Browns will be able to address in the coming years. Of course, talent doesn't necessarily breed NFL success, particularly when you don't have the right person at the most important position on the field. And that's where the Browns are moving into week six in their game against the Houston Texans. I was listening to Triple B earlier this morning and also last week, and they made some really interesting points about Deshaun Kaiser and uh, Hogan and also about Deshaun Watson as well. But we'll start off with the the points that Robodog made uh, with Kevin Hogan. He made some arguments early on that were saying that Hogan probably should have been starting at the beginning of this year and that the move that Hugh Jackson is making now is kind of something he's doing to kind of set things right uh, and that's maybe the way it should have been at the start. You know. And I'm not sure um, if the competition hadn't been tilted to the top three competitors, those being uh, Kaiser, Kessler, and Osweiler. And that if the, the, the playing field had been completely level, maybe Hogan could have shown that he was the quarterback to lead the organization. You know, I'm not sure that this is actually true when... Uh, Robodog makes this the supposition. In the end, it's a really interesting supposition. It's the one that John W. made from the outset. And I can see where uh, Robodog is coming from on this point. I think that Kaiser kind of earned this job by default. And really the logic makes sense uh, for him to actually take the job. His talent absolutely jumps off of the field uh, from the first time you watch him. And really, logically speaking, it should just be a matter of his development before you end up with a long-term winner at the position. But fast forward to game six on this calendar, 
And this isn't the story that was supposed to emerge. The Browns are flying now to Houston and going to face a rookie quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Of course, this isn't the rookie quarterback battle that we were all expecting. But to me, it looks like a pretty compelling matchup going in. In fact, it looks way more compelling than what most of the pundits that I've seen breaking this game down say. Really, the strength of the Texans is the way they run the football. It starts with Watson and uh, Miller, uh, Lamar Miller, Braxton Miller, and maybe he has this as well. But you can't forget about Devontae, Deontay Foreman, uh, which uh, Deontay Foreman, James Conner, these were the two backs that I looked at in the draft this last year and was thinking about the kind of a back that they would use to spell Crowell. And I really wish the Browns had gone out and got a back like this, but alas. In the end, though, uh, the Houston Texans have done a great job in recent weeks working play action, rollout passes to utilize Watson's feet in this offense. Top off that with the excellent skill position players at wide receiver being Hopkins and Fuller. And you can see why the Texans offense has been so dangerous as of late. The key to this offense, offense clearly is Deshaun Watson. But... The strength of the of the uh, Houston uh, Texans offense is going to end up playing into the teeth of the Browns' strength on defense. I mean, with Will Fuller, they can always take the top off the defense, but they still largely operate in the short to mid-range area of the passing game. I don't think that the Texans are going to drop 60 on the Browns, but that depends on how Cleveland plays on offense and whether they're able to hold the ball. Hogan has proven to be a capable runner, and his quick decision-making has really made up for his perceived lack of arm talent. I'm looking to see how much more effective playmakers like Njoku and Devalb can be in this offense. But what I find is borderline crazy is the way that these two quarterbacks' stories have gone, you know, starting back in the preseason. Watching uh, Deshaun Watson operate in a pro-style offense uh, produced much different results than what he's doing here. He looked really overwhelmed in the preseason and even more mistake-prone than Deshaun Kaiser. But as the year has gone on, you can see that O'Brien has begun to employ concepts that De- uh, Deshaun Watson was successful using in college, and the results have been nothing short of shocking. But when you look at this progression and see how far Watson has come, you have to look at yourself and ask, why hasn't the case been the same with Kaiser? Kaiser seemed like he has the most skill. He seems like he has the best opportunity to do something special with a team. He started right away, but in the end, it seems like his trajectory has gone exactly the opposite direction. But when you look at the conditions, the situation, the, 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 the things that are around Deshaun Kaiser uh, in this Cleveland situation, you can see that there's quite a bit of difference between what he's dealing with and what Watson's dealing with. And it starts with experienced talents and productive skill player positions. I mean, really, Kaiser's had guys like uh, Corey Coleman and Kenny Britt. Coleman, who hasn't stayed healthy, and Kenny Britt, who's been dropping passes left and right. Additionally, uh, the wide receiver room has been a virtual carousel. While uh, Deshaun Watson has Hopkins and Fuller and Miller and so many other weapons at his disposal, uh, Ellington being another another great weapon that people don't really talk about so much. He's got so many guys to work with that you know it doesn't you know it, it, when he makes a good play it ends up being a good play every time and it ends up being something where he can get the sticks moving. By the way, he plays on offense for sure. Uh, 
Additionally, the offense that's built, and this is a point that um, uh, Scott T made in, 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 the, in, the, in the show a couple weeks ago, but the offense he said uh, was built in the Texans uh, system was built on simplified reads for the quarterback. And it's true. It's, I mean, there's, it seems like he's really limited in what he's being asked to do in that offense. And um, because it's, it's such a limited, such a scaled-back, paired-back system, he can just play the game of football within this system and let his talent shine through. He's going to look at one or two reads. If the reads aren't there, he's going to do something with his feet to get a couple of yards and keep the chains moving. And... Really, watching Deshaun Kaiser's work in the pocket, I mean, from in the case of his offensive line not really being as good as maybe you might expect it to be, Deshaun Kaiser still is very effective from within the pocket, man. He's able to move around, he's able to escape the pocket, and he's really quite a surprising runner. And additionally, the last thing about Watson, which Watson has that Kaiser doesn't have, is an effective running game. I mean, Lamar Miller and the boys have been averaging 4.3 a carry. And uh, yeah, they've been doing the job on the ground, which, of course, makes the play-action game so much more effective when you have an effective running game to pair with this. You know, it's definitely sad to see what happened with Kaiser and to see him take a step back. But it, it's, it's kind of strange for me. Coach Jackson has stated that he does indeed still have plans for Kaiser in the future. And uh, I know there's been some gnashing of teeth and some, some griping that... Once you move to Kaiser, maybe you never, never really, once you move from Kaiser, maybe you never really get back to him. And essentially, by putting him on the bench now, you could be uh, totally like jettisoning his entire prospects for, for his future. But Coach Jackson clearly has not stated that this is the case. He seems to believe that Kaiser does have a bright future in Cleveland. And he's been relatively straight with us in terms of what his expectations are. In my opinion, I think this is right. Kaiser's actually gotten better each week. He's eliminated some of the deficiencies that he's had, but learning on the job in the NFL is has got to be an extremely difficult thing to do. He still isn't good enough to win the games that he's supposed to win. But, in, you know, in my assessment, the cupboard, as far as Deshaun Kaiser is concerned, isn't bare. To be fair, I think that Jackson's scheme has been pretty great. And, that's why I kind of laugh at people saying that Hugh Jackson needs an offensive coordinator. It seems like the Browns have the play calling. It's creative enough. It seems good enough. It's just these the mistakes by the quarterback, what the quarterback is making through to inexperience. That's why the offense isn't being consistent and isn't staying ahead of the chains. Uh, I kind of think of it as being like this. This is the kind of the analogy I would look at. You got a young kid coming from college. He's used to driving an automatic car uh, through traffic. And you're putting him in a high-stress situation with a car that's a clutch. a clutch. And in the end, he's just got to learn how it is to operate this clutch and how to make decisions with you know, different sets of, of skill sets, different sets of, of movements that he's doing. And he's just got to do it better as he gets into the new place. And by now, I'm looking at a guy who's struggling with basic stuff. It's not the car, the offensive system that's the problem. It's the driver. And in a few a few weeks or maybe a couple weeks, sitting this guy down, giving him a chance to like go back, go over the reps in his head again before he gets behind the wheel, that might do him some good. And I I fully believe that there's a very good chance that Kaiser comes back after week nine, depending on what happens. However, it is true that once you leave the door open to a guy like Hogan, if Hogan comes in and plays well, maybe we don't see Kaiser. But if Hogan comes in and plays well, that's a good thing, man. That means that maybe we're going to win some games and that 
people start to get a more positive attitude about what's going on in Cleveland. And we don't think about blowing the team up. These are really good things that would happen if uh, Hogan plays well. But at the same time, it is it is definitely a, a little bit nerve-wracking to think about the fact that Deshaun Kaiser, one of the youngest quarterbacks who's played in the NFL, might only get a few games at the beginning of one year to prove himself. And then after that, his opportunity, his window might actually be gone. It's time for me to predict this game now, and I will. Uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, Houston winning a game 28-21. to 21. I expect the game to be relatively close. I put the Browns at about 33-38% to 38% uh, chance of winning this game. They actually could win the game if they could hold on to the football on offense and force Watson to throw the ball more, and also if they can find a way to actually get to Watson, not just pressure him, but actually get him down. In the end... If they could hold the ball against the defense, well, that's a serious question. No one really knows what this defense is going to be like without uh, Merciless and J.J. Watt you know, being sidelined in, with injuries. But if they can, you know, hold on to the ball against this defense, this game should be and could be worth the watch. If the game stays close, there's a good chance for Hugh and the boys to get off the naughty list next week, uh, depending on the health of the Tennessee Titans. But also... And I can't discount this possibility. Watson might run roughshod over the Browns. And I'm not really going to predict that right now. I don't think actually it's going to happen. But Cleveland Browns look to be in turmoil. And they're going on the road. A few bat breaks early here or there could spell doom for this squad. And if this game looks like, you know, Wentz's game to open the 2016 season where, you know, a few plays here or there would change something. We might be able to shake off, even the, the media might not be able to, lock and four might not be able to shake it off. But as fans, we could shake off of the game when the, the Browns play pretty well. No one really expects them to go to, to Houston and win a game. But an ugly showing in this game could be devastating for the organization because it's even more evidence that the talent evaluation isn't what it needs to be. I've never actually wanted Deshaun Watson or Carson Wentz at quarterback. I mean, maybe that's a problem for me and not one of the quarterbacks, but still. Without a steady signal caller of their own, the Browns are going to keep having to hear this argument. Hey, why didn't you select this one? Why didn't you take this one? Now, I'm not going to be able to watch this game live due to some unforeseen commitments, but I should be able to get there next week to talk about the chances the Browns will have in the Titans match- matchup. But until then, we're going to put this game in the- this episode in the books. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to listen to this and all the shows at the DBN Network. Please leave a comment in the comment section if you had something to contribute. Uh, well, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, Thelonious 7 on the DBN Network. Take care. Gossett is dealing at the 17, 37-yard attempt. The kick is up. It is good. The Browns have won the game. The Browns have won the game in double over. 20 and the stadium is gone right there. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. 
This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.